Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, everybody. What great truth for us to center our hearts and our minds and our lives on. And we are going to open the scriptures this morning um, to James chapter 3. So I invite you to turn there. Um, As you turn there... um, Yes, Doug Whitley will be with us next week. He is going to be doing a dramatic monologue of the book of James. Central to the early church and central to God's people for literally millennia has been the reading of the scripture. And so next week is an opportunity to hear James from start to finish. A fantastic way to to ground yourself in the truth of the text in its full context. So we invite you to come back for that. Um, Also, this morning is Baptism Sunday. And so we are excited to have three young people from our church being baptized at the end of our service today. And so just look forward to that and be ready to celebrate the goodness of God with them. And um, we are also, as a... as a community, uh, we, we have uh, sermon notes that are available for kids. And kids, I absolutely love looking at your sermon notes. One of the things we've been having you do lately is write down verses, like a key verse that we've been studying. That's just a way to like use your hand and kind of put it more in your heart than just reading it. And so, um, kids, two ways you can engage with this morning's sermon are to write out James uh, 3, verse 8, or, uh, and or draw a picture of a time when you said something unkind. Unkind. Um, you don't need to write what you said, unkind, but draw a picture of what it looked like, perhaps. Uh, because this morning we're talking about the importance of our tongues and how, how tongues and our speech relate to our maturity in Christ. Um, ma- maturity is a very important thing for James. In James chapter 1, he says, um, he says this. He says, consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance finish its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And James is going to pick up again on this idea of maturity in the context of our passage today. What he says in chapter 3, verse 2, is, is he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. And so we're talking about maturity today, and we're talking about what does it mean to have speech in conduct that would sanctify God's name. Um, I don't know how you would describe the word mature. Um, The dictionary describes it as full-grown, developed, able to handle advanced stages of mental or emotional stability. It describes it as old, which is maybe not the best one, uh, but, but something that has little cap for growth. You know, something that has reached kind of a pinnacle of its growth. And um, I like to think of, of uh, maturity in the context of this, maple sugaring. It is almost the season. The season is upon us. This picture was taken at Van Ralty Farm a couple of years ago, as you can tell by the age of my two kids there. And that's a big old sugar maple tree. And one of my hobbies the past couple of years has been sugar making in the spring. And maple sugaring requires a specific kind of tree, preferably sugar maple because the sugar content's higher. But it has to be a tree 
tree that has a certain degree of maturity to it. You have to have a tree that's at least 10 to 14 inches in diameter just to put one tap in it. The bigger the tree, the more taps you can put in. The more taps you put in, the more we'll call it fruit, um, it comes out, or nectar that comes out. And it takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup on average. And so when you look at a tree like that, you think, as a sugar producer, how much can I get from this? How, how much can, can, can we benefit? Um, my point is this. Maturity is important for our Christian life, and it's something that we grow towards. Just like that sugar maple didn't grow that size in a short amount of time, it took years, it took experience, it took long winter after long summer after long winter before it became something that you could tap and you could get sweet maple syrup from. Maturity is not determined by age, it's, it, it's determined for us as believers, it's determined by how yielded we are to God. And often that yielding takes time. It takes a process of trusting God and trusting his person and his character, of growing in holiness and allowing the spirit to work in us in a way that we become more and more cognizant and aware of the sin in our life and the more we turn to God. And, and spiritual fruit, which really is a marker of maturity. You know, um, Galatians talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are markers for our life on what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. And for many of us, it takes just day after day after day after day before um, you look back upon your life years later and you say, wow, God has grown me more mature throughout the course of life. Okay. I'm using this. Here we go. So, um, James desires his hearers to be mature. And in James chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious, God-fearing, pious, without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. His religion is useless. The idea of the word useless here means empty or fruitless. And so we are going to talk this morning a little bit on why our speech matters and, um, and how our speech is actually one of the most immediate ways that we can get a gauge on our spiritual life. Um, so James chapter 3 is what we are looking at. I invite you to stand with me and let us read together. James chapter 3 says this, not many should become teachers, brothers, because knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. Now when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though, the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. Consider how large a forest, consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. 
Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we praise our Lord and Father, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our King, we thank you for the words of James to us this morning. And God, I'd be the first to recognize that there are many ways in which my mouth does not reflect the goodness and the grace of God at all times. And Father, we're thankful this morning for the forgiveness that we have in Christ, even when we go astray. We thank you, God, for bringing us back to your word, back to your grace, and giving us the power to live out of the life of Christ so that our, our, our speech might be something that builds up rather than tears down, so that our speech might be something that would bless our Father in heaven and bless mankind who is made in your image. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. Thank you for all the different walks of life we come from today. We bless you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. And together we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I said this just a minute ago, but few things give us as immediate feedback on our spiritual lives more than our speech. Um, our, our tongues are a great measurement of how we are progressing in our walk of faith. And by tongue, I don't mean the health of the physical organ that resides within your mouth. I'm referring to the words that we speak and we communicate. Communication is incredibly powerful. When, when we speak, it often follows that people are listening. I guess that's not always the case. But oftentimes when we're speaking, we're at least hoping that someone is going to listen. It involves more than just words. Communication, if you read um, various studies out there, they, they somewhat disagree on the percentages, but, but communication involves words and facial expressions, tones of voice, body gestures, eye contact, the space between you and a hearer. The message, though, while it comes from the mouth, is something that comes from much deeper. It, it, it's something that, um, that wells in within your, your whole body, your soul, and it comes out. See, the tongue is essentially a megaphone. It's essentially going to say what your heart is thinking. And Jesus picks up on this in Luke chapter 6 when he says, A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. I highlighted that last phrase for you because it's central to understanding our tongue. Our tongue is not something that is flippant. 
It is something that speaks from the overflow of who we are, is what Jesus tells us. In Proverbs 18, it says this. It says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death can come from this, but this stems down from something much deeper within us. And James wants to address this, but he also, in doing so, wants to address this. He wants to address your whole entire body. And just for a moment, would you just think back this week and say, what was my speech like this week? That could be a scary proposition. You're driving along and someone cuts you off. What do you say? You have a child who says something to you. How do you respond? You have a conversation with a coworker, and you become frustrated in what comes out of your mouth. See, we all stumble in many ways. And one of the ways we often stumble is with our tongue. And it comes from a heart that God has redeemed if we are followers of Jesus, but a heart that is not fully sanctified, uh, a heart that's learning what it means to live by God's grace and live out of the power of his spirit and not the first immediate flesh of reaction that comes to our, our bodies. And James is going to talk about a couple of things here with regard to the tongue. So look with me, please, at uh, James 3, verses 1 through 2. In James 3, verses 1 through 2, he says, Not many should become teachers, brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now, he, sing, he, he um, samples out teachers because teachers have an important role within the life of a community. They have the role to come alongside, to correct error, to speak truth where there is falsehood. And when you have the calling to do that, you receive a stricter judgment. Not many of you should be teachers, brothers, because you, because, you know, we will receive a stricter judgment. James is including himself in this, which is kind of encouraging to me, because here he is, um, a, a very influential player in the early church, the half-brother of Jesus, and he recognizes that even though God has given him a position to be a teacher, and he's writing to these Jewish, largely Jewish hearers in the first century, he recognizes that he himself falls short of the mark. He says, we will be judged more severely, but he says, we will, we will all stumble. We'll trip. We will fail. James is a man who recognizes his own struggle with speech. He recognizes that his tongue is not always fully controlled. Now, even though there's a higher responsibility on teachers, lest you think that that gives the rest of you a pass, it doesn't. Um, in Colossians, and you can look this up later, in Colossians 3, verses 13 through 17, Paul's instructing the church in Colossae. And one of the things he says is to teach and to admonish one another. You know, what one of the functions of the body and one of the reasons that we gather is so that we can teach and we can admonish one another because I need your help in following Jesus. You need my help in following Jesus. We all need each other's help. When it comes to following Jesus, because something in the way that I say something or do something may not even like register on my radar, but you might say, hey, did, did you mean what you said when you said this? And I might go, oh my, no, I didn't. But words have incredible power. Words have incredible power. When I was a kid, 
um, we, we had the great uh, benefit of living really close to grandparents, like really close, meaning that they live downstairs. Uh, for much of our life, 25 years or so, um, my grandparents live downstairs. I've got a picture of my grandma right here, and that's Ephraim a few years ago. And my grandma's 96 right now. And um, she's, just, she's just a doll. She's just a sweet, sweet lady. Um, and as a young kid, I would spend a lot of time with my grandparents because they'd pick me up from school at 3.30 because uh, my parents were both working. And so they'd take us home and we'd be around. And, and they just had an incredible influence on our lives. One day, um, I, I, I should preface it with this. I was not known for, like, the calmest demeanor. I, I had this anger issue a lot when I was a kid. And my anger often um, manifested itself in saying a smart remark or a, um, a biting remark or a flat-out disrespectful remark. And my, my grandma was someone who would have none of that. And, um, and I just, good for her. But one day, uh, I said something, and she let me know that what I said was out of bounds. And it was out of bounds. I don't remember the comment, but I clearly remember in my mind, I was out of bounds. About an hour after my grandma had reprimanded me, also known as kindly moved me on to a different way of living, um, she, uh, I, I was in the kitchen, I was getting some water upstairs, and she came up to me and she said, Jeremy, I want to apologize to you. She said, I, when I spoke to you, I spoke callously, and I spoke with a heart that was not for your good, but was one out of frustration because of what you said, and I was wrong. And I said, I remember saying, Grandma, you were totally within your rights to set me straight. And she said, no, I wasn't. I may have been right to correct and to teach and to admonish, but I was not right in how I did it. Words have incredible power. Humility and forgiveness are essential to speaking Christ to one another. And this can happen regardless of your age, regardless of your experience. One of the things I learned that day is it doesn't matter how old you are. What matters when it comes to godliness is that you recognize when God's spirit is saying, you missed it here and you need to go make it right. Because words have incredible power. James is talking about this, and he says words have incredible power. If, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a mature man who is able to control his whole body. In other words, there is no one who is fully mature, because we all stumble in many ways, James says. Go with me to the next couple verses. James now goes to a series of metaphors in the next uh, verses three through six, and these are pictures that people in his time would have understood. And the point is this, he wants you to see, and he wants I to see, that small actions affect big things. Namely, bits and horses. Here's a photo of a horse. You can see how big a horse is. This horse, ridden well, all it needs is the proper guiding of the bit within its mouth. Uh, our family's been rereading um, part of the, um, the Laura Ingalls Wilder series recently, and my favorite book in that whole thing is Farmer Boy. And one of the things that Almanzo, who's, who's the character, um, talks about is he talks about breaking these calves and, and breaking horses because they lived in an agrarian society. And, and his dad told him one time, he said, you know, a well-trained animal will know just from the crack of the whip in the air and the command of your voice or the command of the rain which way to go. 
He says, but if you beat or if you strike or if you yell at, you can break and spoil a good animal. Even for animals, words can have incredible power and effect. And James is saying, hey, we've got these bits that we put in horses' mouths that tell them where to go. See what great an animal this is, but it's guided by a small instrument. Likewise, um, ships and rudders. Uh, it's amazing to see the size of ships. You look at how big that hull is on there, and then you can see the, um, the rudder down there. Now, the rudder's big, but compared to the size of the ship, it is, it is minuscule. And yet, it's that rudder that tells that boat whether it's going to go right or left, whether you're going to get through the channel or whether you're going to hit the rocks. Small things can affect big vessels. A few degrees is what separates this from, um, from a very poor ending. Um, and forest fires and sparks is the third one that he goes to. He says forest fires are caused, um, well, he doesn't say this, forest fires are caused, though, by, by either natural means, stuff like lightning, sparks from falling rocks, volcanoes, and, and stuff like that, or human means. Uh, human means are smoking, campfires, recreational um, vehicles, and stuff like that. One source I read this week said, um, states that 80% of the fires in the U.S. are caused by man. 80%. Now, the, the most damage is often done by the wildfires that are caused by nature because there's less people there to know it's going until it's, uh, it's well developed. Um, but you guys probably are familiar with the great 1871 Chicago fire. Um, legend has it, and I'm not going to go down into uh, the accuracy of this legend, but the most common tale of origin states that Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocked over a lantern. And the result of this is uh, the destruction of approximately 2,000 acres. Um, now, while that's highly disputed, what is not disputed is the damage it caused to the city of Chicago. And you see the map over on your left-hand side. Around that same time, there were um, fires in Holland and Lansing, even south of Holland a little bit, up in Wisconsin. Some people claim that those fires are attached to embers that have um, gone out from the Great Chicago Fire because it was a dry summer and the winds were such. What I want you to see is one small spark can carry a fire that can do incredible destruction. And James is saying, when you speak a word that's critical to your spouse... When you speak to your child in frustration rather than love, when you talk about someone behind their back, when you're at school and you're making fun of another kid, when you speak negatively about another business or even another church, your words have incredible power and can do untold destruction. And James says, this should not be so. With few words, we can create a firestorm that's very, very difficult to put out. The point of all this, again, is small instruments, like our mouth, affect the course of large vessels. So we have to ask ourselves the question, does what I say really matter? What about if I just need to vent? They're just words. As a kid, uh, I remember when I learned it, it was grade school sometime, uh, we, we learned the, the old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever said that was a liar. Because it's not true. Our words have incredible power. What we say 
has the ability to lift up others or it has the ability to tear them down. What we say either blesses God or it doesn't. James goes on from using these very picturesque metaphors uh, to verse 7. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by the tongue. He says, no man can tame the tongue. James describes here how man has tamed wild animals, and yet man cannot tame the organ that sits in his mouth. Small though it may be, we do not have power over it. It is a restless or an unstable evil. It's full of deadly poison or venom. The word tame here uh, is a word that means to reduce from an uncontrolled to a controlled state. It means to subdue it. It means to control it. See, we, we attempt to use our, our, our mouths in counterproductive ways. He talks about this in verses 9 and following. He says, with them we bless God. And yet with them we curse men made in God's image. And he says, this is incompatible. You, you can't do both things and say both things honor God. That's not consistent with the character and, and of who God is. And yet this is our reality. And, and he says, um, no man can tame the tongue. In verse 8, if you underline in your Bible, this is an important phrase to underline. Um, no man can tame the tongue. If you want to, just underline that really quickly. No man can tame the tongue. Now I want you to do something else, if you also write in your Bible. I, I have Bibles I love to write in because I come back to it, and I get to you know, just be reminded about the truth that's in there and things I've learned in the past. Now what I want you to do is I want you to circle the word man. No man can tame the tongue. See, see James comes to the, the discussion of our speech and our conduct, and yet we are really... Um, in a difficult circumstance because we cannot do anything about it. We, we, we do not have the mastery over our tongue to fully subdue it and take control over it. So what are we left to do? What, what recourse do we have? How do we seek to bless God? How do we seek to live after God and follow God's ways with something that we cannot tame? No man can tame the tongue. This is the good news of the gospel. Because when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot tame our tongue. The only way that our tongue can be used as something to bless others and to bless God most of all is to have God tame our tongues for us. Now, we have a part to play in this. But never forget it is a divine thing for God to come in and set the course of our tongue on a different path. Many of us think that we can just do better or we can try harder. And where that leads us is performance-based Christianity. Oh, I'll just get my bootstraps and I'll just do better next time. Or, oh, I'm so bad, I should just stop doing that. I won't do that again. And yet the answer is not an increase of our willpower. The answer is a yieldedness of our life to God. Let me say that again. The answer is not the increase of our willpower when it comes to taming our tongue. The answer is saying, God, I yield my rights and I yield my desires and I yield everything in my life 
to you because you are the only one who can help me tame this tongue. The gospel reminds us that Christ has paid the penalty for our sin and that he has given us the power to walk a new life. Kate read it earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When you and I come to a relationship with God through Jesus, the Spirit of God comes inside of us to seal that work that Christ has done, but also to empower us to live a new kind of life. Because God knows that in and of my own strength, I cannot tame this thing. He knows how wayward I am. And trust me, friends, when you're getting ready to preach on the use of your tongue, you become a lot more um, cognizant of how poor you can use your tongue. And you experience all manner of things where you're like, oh, I'm frustrated about that. Oh, I wish. Oh, it's part of God's sanctifying work to give us trials that lead us to maturity. And perhaps for some of us this morning, one of the greatest ways that God wants to mature us is he wants to say, would you look at your speech and would you ask yourself, God, where is my heart? Because it's not just about the words you say, it's about where they come from. God tames our tongues by transforming our hearts. There is no other way for God to do it than for him to do a new work inside of me and inside of you. God doesn't just say, hey, let me come and let me give you new lips or a new tongue. He says, let me give you a new heart so that what springs forth from you is something that's genuine, not just here, but down here. He cares more about the quality of your whole life being given to him than just your lip service. In fact, many of us throughout the course of our life might give lip service to God, and then we go and we, through our actions, deny that which we have just said. God says, I want to give you a new heart, and we receive a new heart when we come to Christ by faith. When we repent of our sin and our rebellion towards God, God transforms our hearts so that our hearts might be then something that would give praise and honor and glory to him in how we speak. He cleanses our hearts, giving us forgiveness. And we've talked this last several months about the importance of being in the word and being in prayer. Two very, very important spiritual disciplines. And one of the reasons they're so important is because only by daily and regularly being in the scriptures, being in what is true, and having a relationship with God through prayer, that's one of the ways that God begins to make us more and more aware of the heart attitudes that take us down these paths. I want to give you just a couple of, of, of thoughts as you consider your heart this morning. Um, let me ask you this. Are you a follower of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, God has renewed your heart. And yet, God is also asking and desires to have a relationship with you day after day after day. When you wake up in the morning, 
He wants to have some of the first thoughts of your mind to be, God, how can I honor? How can I please? How can I serve you today? Not because you earn anything because of it, but because it's your status as a son and daughter of God to live the way of Jesus and to walk in relationship with him. Ask God for a clean heart each day. Say, say God, would you forgive me of my sin? We studied the disciples' prayer last year. It said, And one of the phrases of the disciples' prayer is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We recognize that, that, that unforgiveness is something that can be really, um, can be a great challenge for many of us in our hearts to move forward with right hearts and actions. As much as you are able, the scripture says, live at peace with all people and seeking forgiveness from God and from others is one way, uh, a critical way to pursue that. Renew your heart. Uh, seek to renew your heart by putting into it the truth of God's word and ask God through prayer to allow the Holy Spirit to help you to live out of God's word. Maybe one thing you could be praying this week is every moment you are tempted to use your tongue to start a fire, ask God for help. Say, Lord, tame my tongue. <laughs> this is a restless evil. It can be full of deadly poison. God, sometimes I bless you and then I immediately say words and attitudes that should not be. God, tame my tongue. Another way that God tames our tongues, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that he brings people into our lives. Kind of like my grandma to do this. Your community group, your family, your spouse, your kids are all people, your coworkers. These are all people whom God has placed in your life not just to encourage you, they should be doing that, but also to admonish you and to help you follow Christ more passionately. People whom you can, whom you can confide in in the proper way and say, I need help here. Would you pray for me here? Would you help me not to speak falsehood or slander or gossip? Perhaps one of the greatest examples of, um, um, of seeking forgiveness in the scripture is David. David was described as a man after God's own heart. And in Psalm 51, uh, it records essentially a prayer of David to God. And it, the prayer comes after David had really messed up and had an adulterous affair with another man's wife. David was confronted with this from one of the priests, or from, from Nathan. The prophet, sorry, not priest. Uh, he is confronted by Nathan, the prophet, who comes to him, tells him this story, and David's all indignant. And then he realizes after Nathan says, hey, this person's you. One of the things that we see in David's life is David is broken over his sin. He recognizes that he's not a perfect person, but he also recognizes that God has called and commands him to walk in a new way. And he says this in Psalm 51. Just listen to these words. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done evil in your sight. He recognizes that his life in this manner was far from where God wanted him to be. 
And he says these famous words in verse 10. He says, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. In verse 12, restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. And he says in verse 14, save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation. And notice what he says, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips that my mouth might declare your praise. God desires for these instruments, our mouths, our tongues, words we say, words that well up from in here. He desires them to be things that would declare his praise. How do we do that? Well, we, we, we bless God. You know, we, we, said, we sang that earlier. Holy, holy, God almighty, you're the great I am. Who is worthy? None besides thee great I am. So we've said that, but as we go out into our week, we're then called to live that. By God's grace, he wants to walk with us so that when we go into our places of business, God's holiness is seen by how we treat our employees, how we treat our coworkers. When we go into our homes this afternoon, we don't have words of anger and strife, but we have words that, that, that build up, that encourage now, those words might need to teach and to admonish, but I know very well there is a good way to do that and a bad way to do that, because often I do it in the bad way, out of frustration. Instead of God's care for my kids or for my life, I become frustrated and I want to change the course of their life, but I do it in an improper manner. God wants you, as you go into your places of business this week, to seek to honor God by being above board in everything you do, by, by how you conduct yourself at the water cooler or in the lunchroom, by how you righteously and justly um, handle your books, by showing up on time and being, being cognizant of you have an employer to whom you are, you are working for. And so in everything you do, you work for the glory of God. No man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. But God wants to work in you so that your life becomes something that would be to the praise of God's glory. And as you do that, God will continue to work in you so that, that your, your mouth in your heart, in all of your body is something that is used for God's purposes instead of what is normally our own selfish means. I want to invite our worship team to come up right now as we, as we begin to close. And we're going to sing a song, and there's a, there's a line that comes in it, and it says, um, Your will above all else, my purpose remains, the art of losing myself and bringing you praise. One of the things that keeps us from bringing praise to God, in fact, the greatest thing, I would, I would argue, that, that keeps us from bringing praise to God in our lives is that we are often more, care, more, um, more focused on our own comforts and our own ends than God's. The art of losing myself and bringing you praise. And it's an art. It's something that God is working us uh, day by day by day toward to have a life that would reflect that. Another phrase we're going to sing in just a minute is this prayer. In my heart, in my soul, God, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. 
Because God does not just want to change your tongue. He doesn't want to just tame your tongue. He wants to tame your tongue by transforming your heart. Where is your heart today? I want to just give you a minute. Just close your eyes even if you would this morning and ask God, God, where is my heart? God, where is my tongue? And Lord, where would you have me walk in a different path by your Spirit? Our Father and our King, we give you control over our lives again today. We yield our lives to you, God. We ask that you would tame our tongues by transforming our hearts. There's no other way, God, for our lives to change other than for them to change by the renewing of our heart on the very inside. Lord, may we not be satisfied with external solutions to the problem of our tongue. May we seek the righteousness and the peace and joy that comes through your spirit. God, may we desire to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received as your sons and your daughters. We pray for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616 772-4377.